Oh, shit! Born with a heart full of neutrality. Their currency is blood. I hear music. Their music human screams. That's how I receive it, too. What makes a man turn neutral? I taped over my Luther Vandross mix. My goodness, what singing group is that? Edible music. I tried to taste it. But it did not work. The gang bang? Just close your eyes, wave your hands side to side, and you'll be just fine. Trust me, you'll fit right in. Heyo, this is Ducky here to welcome you to Genre Neutral, the only podcast dedicated to prospecting gems from the vast and mystical frontier we call music. From Brooklyn bass to Afro-punk, we absorb sound and reverberate only the dopest. Back to you, the listener. On this episode, we meet with Brandon Corsair for an in-depth breakdown on death metal music and its many sub-genres. Hello. Hey, can you hear me? Oh, yes, indeed. Nice. Killer. Right on. Well, how's it going, Brandon? Going well. Thanks for having me. So, first of all, I hear you have a stage name. What What is this name you'd prefer to go by? I just go by Brandon Corsair. It's, uh, you know, it's not too, not too out there. It's a mod to one of my favorite bands, and uh, it just helps keep uh, personal life and music stuff separate. Awesome. Well, what is the band that it's inspired by? There's a there's a band called the Lord Weird Slaufag, which is a heavy metal band from San Francisco, and they have a song called Highway Corsair, and oh. so that's my my stage name is Brandon Corsair, and then I also my magazine is called Highway Corsair. My website is called Highway Corsair. Cool. It's, uh, you know, nice continuity. I dig it. And so you're from California originally. Yeah, I'm, I'm nice. from uh, greater LA area. I'm very familiar. I just moved back like a year ago. So. Oh, wow. It's cool to always speak with uh, Angelina. Yeah, I was. Uh, I lived all over there. I was in uh, Pomona, San Dimas. Uh, I lived in Orange County for a while. I lived, lived in, I grew up in Ventura County. Awesome. Uh, pretty exciting stuff. What got you into heavy metal music? Like, what's your inspiration behind that? Well, my dad is a really big metal head. He got into Black Sabbath really young, and uh, he just kind of never stopped. So I, I don't think I don't feel like I'm really original. You know, I I'm kind of like you know that asshole who never stops bringing up like Cream and Led Zeppelin and stuff because his dad's really into like you know '60s rock, and it's like I'm like that except with metal. Uh, so it's like, you know, my dad, I grew up uh, listening to like Black Sabbath, Slayer, Maiden. My dad got me into Bolt Thrower, Rotting Christ, Celtic Frost. And uh, that's not something that too many people in metal can say. It's just, it kind of worked out that way. I'm not, I'm not cool or original. I just listen to the stuff that, you know, it's a continuation of the stuff I grew up listening to. Right. But it's like the backbone of metal, it sounds like you were just describing, correct? Yeah. It's continuing the legacy of badass rage screaming and that's that's still all of my favorite bands i mean like you know black sabbath invented metal and i think they perfected metal you know right away right out the door and uh you know i think that that's if anything i think that gives me a little edge edge up when i songwrite is uh you know i i feel like a lot of a lot of this music is very regressive and a lot of it is very old school, but then a lot of people are trying to play this regressive old school music and they didn't grow up surrounded by the same influences that their heroes did. So it's like, obviously, you know, 
I'm never going to be able to write music like Merciful Fate did because I just I didn't grow up listening to fucking Bon Jovi or whatever. You know, it's just it's not part of my DNA. But, you know, so many bands right now will try to, like, knock off, you know, let's say Morbid Angel. They'll try and knock off Morbid Angel is this, you know, legendary death metal band. They'll try to knock off Morbid Angel by listening to Morbid Angel. And it's like, you know, Morbid Angel sure as fuck wasn't listening to Morbid Angel. So right, you no. kind of got to have that background if you want to not suck at what you do. Yeah, they were big into Beethoven, right? No, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, they, they claimed that they were into classical music. I'm not sure if I believe it. A lot of those a lot of those 80s bands, the bigger ones, they were playing like death metal and stuff. Yeah. They were, they were proud of their music, but they were kind of embarrassed. Like they felt like they had to like be seen as legitimate. And so a lot of those guys started more, you know, more legitimate, less extreme bands. They would name drop, you know, compo- classical composers they probably didn't listen to in interviews. Uh, you know, yeah. just so that they could come across as real musicians instead of, you know, yeah. a bunch of guys playing extreme, satanic, dirty stuff. Well, so, I mean, listening, I mean, you talk about the regressive nature of some of this music. I, I was listening to a couple of the different uh, groups that you, you sent out, and I noticed there's like a little bit of variation between the styles. They're like, I don't listen to a ton of death metal. Is there like subgenres? Like, how would you categorize like different subgenres that your groups do? Uh, well, death metal's, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's less subgenres. The stuff that I kind of do is, it's more that back when death metal was really first being codified back in the 80s and in the early 90s, there were all of these different worldwide regional scenes. So it's like everybody was listening to Morbid Angel. You know, everybody was listening to Obituary. But at the same time, you know, you, it, they didn't have the internet. And so all of these local bands from like, let's say Stockholm, Sweden, for example, they were listening to each other and influencing each other that you couldn't find bands for the most part there was a few but you couldn't find bands that didn't sound kind of like their peers and so what you had were these all incredibly um just super specific regional sounds and so a lot of the times when people are referencing a new band that is pretty regressive and i i try not to be so i mean obviously my music is regressive but i try not to be so like blatantly influenced by a single scene that you could do this but for a lot of modern bands you'll be like oh you know that's you know fucking that's skeletal remains they sound like a bunch of bands from florida and they sound like a bunch of bands from the netherlands and like that's how you will describe a modern death metal band is you will describe the bands that they were ripping off from the 90s gotcha so it's kind of like the punk rock scene back in the day like oh, yeah. punk rock bands were listening to each other oh yeah this is the same thing and those scenes were really influencing each other so like i mentioned the stockholm sweden scene that scene largely came out of the swedish crust scene so those guys sounded kind of different from a lot of other death metal because instead of listening to the same like thrash and heavy metal bands those guys were all into like moderate liquidation and a social and you know they were listening to swedish crust they were listening to discharge and english bands and a lot of early death metal scenes were not quite so uh, interwoven with punk. Oh, gotcha. And so did you say Swedish crush or crust? Crust, crust punk. Yeah, I'm looking crust it up punk. right now. All Swedish right, never punk. heard of that before. Interesting. Yeah, crust punk was, uh, there's this, there this demo, I think it was uh, 
It was I'm trying to fucking remember if there's 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 a they had stench core in the name anyway, and so there's all of these all this stuff like that where it's like this band will just drop something where they'll say stench core like with metal you had venom with black metal uh, with death metal it was a mixture of stuff but then you had bands like possessed having the song death metal and so a lot of these genre names literally came from some random band like just self-describing or having a song where they were like yeah we play fucking black metal and so a lot of like the nice. punk stuff kind of kind of got named the same way that's really interesting yeah so is it they kind of like self-identify into their own groups like oh we want to be like black metal or this is how we see our music as black metal it's interesting yeah and a lot of that didn't stick you know a lot of those names like they invented names that stuck some of them didn't stick or if they did stick it was different stuff like metallica called themselves power metal really early on and we oh, don't use yeah. power metal now to talk about fucking metallica that's completely different but metallica was they pretty they pretty much coined it i mean they were, yeah, we're power metal. And so it ended up meaning something different, but the term stuck around. Interesting. So Anton sent me two of your bands. How many bands do you have? How many have you been in? Let me, uh, let me count on my fingers. Uh, how many have I been in? I'm not going to try. I'm not okay, going to All right. There's no way. How many am I in? There's Drag Car. There's Azath, there's Serpent Rider. Those are the main three right now. I have an unnamed thing that I'm doing with a buddy. So that's four. And then I'm doing a band called Reaver with one of my best buddies. That's five. And then I just joined a band that I'm not going to say who it is yet on the off chance that anyone uh, that knows me listens to this and then it falls through. Oh, right. I joined, I joined another band on live guitar for after the pandemic. So I think that's six. I'm nice. gonna go with six. Impressive. Final answer. Half a dozen. I like it. So, do you do only vocals? Do you play other instruments? Or I usually, on I, always on some level, I'm playing guitar. Um, I tend most of the bands I write most or all of the music. Um, some of them, so like the band that I, I'm going to be joining live, for example. Obviously, I'm not writing any of their music. I have no part of that, and I'm only doing it because they're one of my favorite bands and it would be fucking insanity to say no. I, me I mentioned it to a buddy and he said that if I said no, he would drive up to Seattle, kick my ass. Nice. Uh, Sounds like that a good friend. Of, hopefully it works out. But that one and then the, the unnamed one that we still haven't figured out what we're going to call it with a buddy, I'm not writing anything in those two except for, you know, like my own, my own uh, rhythm guitar parts, but I'm not doing any of the arrangement or the, the basic song structure or ripping, whatever. Um, but most of the rest of them, I either write all the music or most of the music. And then some of them I do vocals in, some of them I don't. Do you like like both aspects of it? Uh, like being a part of the team and also being kind of a leader and writing the work? Or I usually don't like not having complete control over the songwriting. Yeah. Um, I find it really difficult and frustrating to work with people who aren't doing exactly what I want to be doing unless I can tell them no. If I don't have the final say, I can't do it. So the only times that I can sit back and surrender control are with really good friends who have a very strong idea in mind, or yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. it usually if someone write, if someone else wants to write music in one of my bands, that's fine, that's always fine. 
but it has to work. If it doesn't work, I'm going to rewrite it. And if I can't rewrite it, it's not getting used. Nice. Yeah. Impressive. I like it. Makes sense. It's just hard. It's, you know, music is so personal. You can't put out something that you don't a hundred percent get behind. And uh, I always have an idea of what I want my music to sound like. And if it doesn't sound like that, I'm just, I'm not putting it in. So during the pandemic, like how have you been, do you still practice via Zoom or, or how do you get, get out with friends? Um, some of my stuff is just more or less on hold or inactive. Uh, so Azath, um, we are recording a seven inch split right now for with one of our friends that uh, we're contributing one side, they're contributing the other side for this uh, seven inch vinyl record. And we recorded that all completely remotely. Um, but Azath was mostly a studio project before the pandemic. Uh, we had a tour planned that we were going to fly together and rehearse first before touring, which I've done before. It's not a big deal as long as you all rehearse at home first, a lot. But uh, that one, it's all remote. Every, you know, half the band are audio engineers, and it works out really well. Other stuff you can't really do remote. I mean, I've had the pleasure and the good fortune to work with a lot of amazing musicians that know how to record themselves, but that is definitely a minority position within metal and music in general. Most people can't record their own music. It's just, it's it's difficult to learn. It takes sometimes expensive equipment. So some of my other bands are pretty much just, you know, oh, we'll do stuff when we do stuff. Um, and the split, I mentioned that I'm doing a split. We're kind of, we're kind of taking it slow on our end recording, even though it's all written at this point, because the other band can't record remotely. And so we could finish it this weekend if we wanted to, but they're not going to finish it until after the pandemic. So, you know, why rush? Right. So it just varies. Most bands are just doing nothing right now. The Zoom, the Zoom rehearsal thing does not work. There's yeah. too much latency. Yeah, we've definitely noticed. That's kind of what we were wondering, yeah. Well, so uh, we are noticing like you have some pretty cool artwork on all these band labels. And that's kind of how I noticed. Uh, I was noticing the, the stuff you had hanging on your walls back there. So who who does your art or what's the inspiration here behind some of this? So the first thing I want to say there is that I think that presentation and aesthetic is an incredibly important and sometimes underrated part of music. Because the first thing that you see when you're flipping through records at the record store, assuming that you still do that, is you're gonna see the fucking cover art. And if it's lame, you're not gonna buy some random fucking record you've never heard of. It's just definitely not. You can't ignore that aspect of it. If you're if the band picture on the back, you turn it over and it's a bunch of really cool looking dudes like menacingly glaring at something, you're gonna take that more seriously than a bunch of guys who are fucking playing on their phones in the band picture, which I have seen before from a serious band, supposedly. I didn't listen to it to find out because the band picture was dumb. But right. you know, two of them were fucking on their phones in the band picture, maybe to show that they were so cool they don't give a shit about the band picture. But to me, it just said, we don't give a shit about our band. Yeah. So I didn't listen to it. Not even trying. But so that's, that's the important thing before talking about the art itself is that I think that aesthetic and good art is very important. And I'm very glad that the era of taking a picture of yourself and putting on the cover is mostly gone, in metal at least. So uh, I usually, for Drag Car and for some of my other bands, I use 
this guy named Patrick, who's a buddy of mine at his, and he lives in Germany. And he is an artist who goes by the name Karmazid, Karmazid. I don't know how he pronounces it. Um, but he, it, that, that one's kind of funny because I had been talking to him for a few months through this forum using you know screen names. And one day he's like, you sound like you know a lot about music, do you play in any bands? And I was like, oh, I have my first demo coming up soon. This was years back. And Patrick goes, oh, I do art. Uh, maybe I can do art for your demo. And he shows me, and he was honest to God, one of my favorite artists that I already knew about him and followed his work pretty closely. And so then I've just, you know, the guy's a personal friend and he, he always gets what I want to do. So he just does most of my art. Um, because it's, to me, it's more important to work with someone that I trust that understands what I want to do than it is to shop around and have a different artist on every release. Well, I mean, and like you said, you kind of make a memorable piece. Like looking at these pieces, I listen to Drag Car right now, or looking at the art uh, artwork, it's just pretty, pretty memorable stuff, and kind of will sit with you for a while, you know. Yeah, and that's something I like about Patrick is he doesn't phone it in. Uh, and I've worked with other artists, and I've worked with a lot of artists, and I have, you know, obviously a lot of friends that have worked with a lot of artists, and. A lot of guys are good if you give them really firm direction and otherwise all their pieces look the same. If the band's like, oh, I don't know, make something cool, it just looks the same every time. But Patrick's not like that. Patrick doesn't even show his client sketches. He says, all right, give me your idea. I might not follow it 100%, probably won't, but it's gonna be cool. And that's Patrick's thing, is he puts 100% into everything he does. And so he's he's really in demand. I mean, his backlog goes back months and months and months most of the time. I'm pretty lucky because we're friends, you know, he will usually kind of bump me to the front of his backlog, which isn't fair because, you know, it's his day job. It's all he does is do art. But uh, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell him no. Right, yeah. So that's that's what I do with him, and then I, I mean I work with other artists. Uh, sometimes I'll do stuff just as like a fucking bucket list kind of thing. Like there's some artists that are just really well known and really good that I just I have to work with sooner or later. So like uh, Azat's album cover was drawn by this guy named Mark Riddick, who is a very prominent um, pen and paper guy, and I mean he's he's best known obviously within metal, but I mean he's done work for Justin Bieber. I think he did something for Lady Gaga. I mean, the guy is really fucking well known within the extreme music scene and even outside of it to some extent. And for me, it was just, I knew that sooner or later I had to use him. And he had bought in, that's not a word. He had, he had bought some stuff from me from one of my bands because in addition to being a cool artist, he's just a cool dude and he follows and buys underground music still. And so he bought some of my stuff and I was like, holy shit, it's Mark Riddick. Nice. And so, you know, later down the line, I had him do the Azath cover or like uh, Azath's second album, because Azath is lucky enough to be on a label big enough to give us a budget. We're putting our entire budget into using Dan Seagrave, who is probably the single most influential and legendary artist in death metal history. And so he's expensive as fuck because... <laughs> He's this legendary artist, but that's like this kind of thing where most bands could never even think about using him. 
and we're just going to dump our entire budget into it because half the band literally are audio engineers so we can just self-record all of our stuff and have it sound great and then use all of the all of our recording budget on getting artwork from this bucket list you know legendary death metal artist that's fantastic yeah that's awesome for sure that is really an awesome on. bucket list check off right there you gotta always take those when you can yeah clever way of getting to it as well yeah uh, i have uh, another buddy that uh he kind of just went oh i'm an engineer i guess i can afford it and then he just paid for secret out of pocket just to check off his bucket list so i'm glad i don't have to do that yeah, totally. So, what does drag car or Azeth mean? So I'm I'm a I'm a dork. I'm not nice. afraid That's to fine with me. Those are both from Epic Fantasy series. Drag car is from Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series, and Azath is from Malazan Book of the Fallen. Steven Erickson, highly recommended. Best fantasy series ever. And I'm sorry, Mr. Tolkien. It's going to take you a couple years to get through it. Hmm. Long wow. as fuck, unless you read as much as I do. Uh, but so both of those are from things or people or monsters within those respective universes, because that's the kind of stuff that I like to write about. And so, you know, that's, you know, it's really big and death metal to write about gore or horror movies or whatever. And I'm not into that stuff. I mean, I appreciate it but I'm not into it. And so, or like the Satanist stuff, like as cool as it undeniably is, when you hear a Hail Satan in the middle of the song, like I can't get behind that in my personal life. Like I don't spend my time reading occult stuff. So I'm gonna write all my lyrics about fantasy and sci-fi. And so that's how my bands end up getting named usually. All right. Those, those 10 are all- books it looks like? Holy crap. Yeah, 10 books and they are- they are fatty. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. They're long as shit. <laughs> there's there's no way around it. No, for sure. No, it's it's interesting. Um, no, I love fantasy stuff. I love Tolkien and and that kind of stuff. So the mainstream stuff, but uh, that's because I don't really enjoy reading. But yeah, no, I, I think that's that's really that's really great. Well, so you mentioned a magazine too. You have your you have your own magazine. Yeah. So, and that's something that's really big in metal and punk, plus so these days, but it was really big in the 80s. And, you know, it's metal, so the 80s never die. Yeah. Uh, this this idea of this fanzine, this fan magazine, where, and, and, and it's not just a metal punk thing or even a music thing. The fanzine lives on in all sorts of different, you know, nerd and music and alternative subcultures. Um, but within metal, that was one of the biggest ways in the 80s that people distributed and promoted new music outside of, you know, you weren't gonna ever find most of the good, sick underground death metal freak stuff, you know, on fucking MTV. And towards towards the end of death metal's heyday, you might find a couple of those because death metal did get briefly very big. I mean, you had bands selling hundreds of thousands of records, uh, but, especially towards the beginning. I mean, nobody, there's just no good way to, to distribute or find these bands. And so what people did is they made their own magazines. You know, they would go down, they would fucking Xerox some cover. They would send, you know, snail mail letters because this was the 80s to bands all around the world. And they would interview them 
bands would send them dubbed cassettes to check it out. Uh, and so that's, I kind of carry on that tradition. And so I have my own little fanzine that, uh, you know, I interview bands for, and then I, now I have someone else compile and lay out it because I'm lazy. I used to do it myself. I don't want to take the time, so I just pay someone now. But, uh, you know, compile, lay out all of the interviews, and then I sell them on the internet. Awesome. Is this highwaycoursar.com? Is that? I w that's my personal website for all my music stuff. Because okay. I write not just for the magazine, but I also write for websites online. I do a mixture of paid freelancing and unpaid freelancing. And wow. so I write about music online. And so I interview bands pretty regularly that are either too small or the wrong genre for my magazine. So I, I try to focus on bigger, older bands for my fanzine because bigger, older bands are tired of interviews, but they love fanzines because it reminds them of being 15. And so uh, you, you can get bands, especially me, because I, I have, you know, years of contacts going back, but you can get bands that are way too big to respond to some, even a bigger website. But then you can get them for, you know, my fanzine. Like I, I've got some bands that I didn't think would ever email me back. Almost nobody turns it down because it's in print. So it means something. It's worth something. There's more time, money being invested in this. There's more passion being invested. So a lot of those older bands are are down with small fanzines. But so, so I, I ignore the, the, the smaller bands in that. But that's also not right because I love music and I want to promote newer bands. So then I also write for a couple of bigger websites and then a couple of smaller websites. And I, you know, constantly, I'm all, I always have interviews running and I wanted to have a way to compile all of that. And so highwaycoursera.com is where people can follow all of the bands that I'm interviewing. Uh, I, I run a small record label. They can, that's, that's where the ultimate master release list is if anybody cares. So you got your hands in a lot of the music industry, especially metal stuff like only metal only metal only right. metal. i like other stuff i do i listen yeah. i listen to a lot of other stuff but metal is my passion most days i only listen to metal if i listen to stuff that's not metal it's usually metal adjacent hard rock or punk nice uh, you know i just that's that's my thing so you know i i try to do as much as i can the only thing that i don't do very often is i don't organize shows unless i'm playing it because it's just too much of a pain in the ass. Well, do you miss touring in general? Do you like touring? Yeah, I was I was really upset. I mentioned that I had a tour canceled. Um, that was with one of my favorite bands, and I was really excited to get to tour with them. They've been around since 1992, drawn and quartered. They're, you know, they're they're legends. They're death metal legends, and I was really excited to tour with them. Uh, and, you know. I not only was I disappointed just from the perspective of not getting to hit the road with them because I like playing shows I like touring I don't like sleeping in a band but I like the rest of it <laughs> but uh, you know it was it's really disappointing because our drummer got this awesome opportunity to to join another band I mentioned earlier Skeletal Remains and Skeletal Remains are huge right now in death metal they're one of the biggest newer death metal bands around you know and so he joined this band they tour constantly, which means that there's almost no way I can re reschedule the tour with Drawn and Quartered, which is a major bummer for me. Yeah, damn, that's shitty. 
I'm into hard rock. I'm into punk rock. It's always been hard for me to get into metal. So what would you, I guess, suggest or advise for someone who's trying to get into metal, whether it be heavy metal, black metal? Yeah. The old stuff like Ramones and Sid Vicious and yeah. Uh, you listen to Motorhead? I mean, way back in the day, yeah. Listen it's been a while. Listen to Motorhead. That's uh, right. Motorhead is the ultimate perfect blend of metal and punk, and nice. I always believe that. And they're, you know, they're a pretty accessible, straightforward band. They're not, you know, trying to. They're not doing anything too extreme. Uh, are you into Thin Lizzy? Ooh, a little bit, yeah. Well, one of Thin Lizzy's guitarists uh, was on a Motorhead album, which was another perfect day. So maybe that'd be. That's not not usually what I'd recommend starting off for Motorhead because it doesn't sound as much like the rest of the Motorhead stuff. Yeah. But it's a fucking great album. Maybe start there. Uh, do you like Hawkwind at all? I have not heard of that. No. No, they're not metal. They're they're like space rock stuff. They pretty much invented space rock. But that was Motorhead's uh, bassist and frontman Lemmy's. That was his band before Motorhead was Hawkwind. He got kicked out of that band for doing too many drugs. Oh. So, Love it. But yeah, so try that. Uh, definitely Motorhead. Um, what kind of hard rock stuff are you into? Oh man. Well, so I was gonna ask: Is Tool metal? Because I used to oh. love Tool. Yes, no so sir. Bitch rock. Alt rock. Hard rock. Hard rock. Okay. So I mean, I guess that's my hard alt rock. That's the hard rock I've listened to. Uh, yeah. It, what would uh, Marilyn Manson be defined as? Industrial rock, shock rock. Mm. Definitely not metal. A lot, a lot of stuff that's called metal um, from outside of metal is widely considered within metal not to be metal. Not for like what about a, Iron Maiden. Metal, definitely okay. metal. They're a heavy metal band. Okay. They're one of the best heavy metal bands. I just spent a bunch of money ordering a live bootleg just earlier this week, actually, where Bruce Dickinson was on vocals in 1982, right after they kicked out Diano. And so it's it's mostly a set list of him doing stuff from the first two albums. So I had to have it. Huge fan of Iron Maiden. Actually, right. that's, that's not a bad call for someone getting into metal from punk is the first two Iron Maiden albums. All right. Yeah. Definitely the first two. The, the later ones, everything in the 80s is good. But the first two are the ones that had the D-beat still and had like the punk energy. Cool. Because, yeah, that's about as hard rock as I know. Yeah, well, they're they're a metal band, and uh, I mean a lot of a lot of stuff now that gets played on classic radio station is either metal or metal adjacent. So I mean, like Blue Oyster Cult influenced a lot of metal bands, even though they weren't one. And I'm a big fan cool. of them. Yeah. Uh, Black Sabbath invented metal, and you can find all of their stuff on, on you know classic rock stations. Judas Priest was an innovative metal band, and they were amazing. They're all over classic rock stations. I mean, anything from the '70s really is a good uh, good bridge from hard rock. I, I, I like talking about this stuff because I'm a really I'm a really big fan not just of listening to metal but of you know metal history uh, not not like the interpersonal stuff. I can't tell you fucking half the, the names of the people in my favorite bands, but I really like metal history, who influenced who uh, you know, just getting into the nitty gritty. I've written articles about a lot of these things. 
you know, it's just, it's something I'm into. So if you let me, I will talk your ear off about it. Well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's what we're here for. Bend our ears. <laughs> Damn, that was super fucking cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm always happy to just continue recommending you bands off the record. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm down with that as well. I like this idea of starting at Motorhead and some Iron Maiden. Yeah. I mean, Motorhead and Maiden are big ones. Uh, I mean, there's there's just so much stuff. You know, I mean, it's, it also depends a lot on how hard and how fast you want to go. Because a lot of the stuff, especially like the punk influence stuff, a lot of that is, you know, a little faster and heavier. Because that's, that's mostly where people were taking that influence from punk is when they were trying to figure out how to get faster and heavier. So then you have your Venom, you have Onslaught. Uh, they don't sound anything like punk, but that's that's really how Metallica got started, is they were trying to figure out how they could combine the aggression of bands like GBH and Discharge, which were influential British hardcore bands, with you know stuff like Diamond Head and Iron Maiden. And so then they played faster, more them and Slayer to some extent. They just played faster, more aggressive versions of those, you know, Iron Maiden songs, especially Slayer. You can you can hear that all over Slayer's first album. It just sounds like a fast, aggressive Iron Maiden album. Nice Slayer. I I, I that sounds familiar. That, are you looking? Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to I just curious. Are you looking for like con? Uh, just the way death metal sounds to me often is like kind of this wall of music of a lot of overlaying sounds. Um, is there like a lot of complexity to like the, the what they're playing within that like overlaying chaos kind of? Or is it like a consistent pattern that's more simplistic that's just a lot of these same patterns overlaying? Or I guess what are you looking for in like a good death metal song? Well, death metal as a genre is pretty broad. Um, that's one of those things where it's not necessarily going to make a lot of sense to you without context. So it's like if you're not listening to the bands that came right before death metal, you you know like what you're saying, like hearing noise, like that's pretty that's a pretty common statement. Um, when I listen to death metal, I just hear riff after fucking riff after fucking riff, and you know I can all, I can in a good death metal record I can tell what everybody's doing. I can tell what both guitarists are doing. I can tell what the vocalist is doing. I can tell what the drummer and the bassist are doing. I mean, it's, but that's that's something that comes more from experience. Um, it's hard it's hard to describe in a, in a very general sense the differences between different death metal bands. But I mean, you'll have something like like one of my favorite bands is Autopsy, and so then they'll play everything from more punky, faster, up tempo stuff to like Black Sabbath doom metal sections within the context of death metal and it's they, they play a lot of chunky power chord stuff and they sound completely different in like every possible way to like let's say Kamos which was a Swedish death metal band that they tended to play they had a lot of power chords as many metal bands in general do but they played a lot of very very fast stuff a lot of tremolo picking uh, a lot of fast chord changes. They, they weren't doing like the doom metal shit. And, you know, and I desperately miss Kamos and wish that they were still around. But, you know, it's just, or if you take like uh, Paradise Lost from England, 
If you take their album Gothic, which is a really influential classic death doom record, death doom being the hybrid of death metal and doom metal, because metal genre convention naming tends to be pretty simplistic. Uh, but so Gothic is it within the context of metal at the time, it sounded like almost nothing else. It has all of these slow, you know, dirging riffs. And then all of the melodies, there's constant melodies they took from goth rock. And so you can literally sit down and listen to Sisters of Mercy, which if you guys don't know, or if any listeners don't know, Sisters of Mercy was a really popular, like straight up mainstream goth rock band. They were not like an obscure, you know, you know, oh, you know, the, the blue collar guys that go get drunk at the docks listen to this band. Like Sisters of Mercy was huge. All right. And Sisters of Mercy's melodies, their their synth melodies, especially, Paradise Lost just played on their guitars. And you can fucking compare back and forth and say, okay, they stole this melody from this song, they stole this melody from this song, but it it was very unique and it doesn't sound like anything. And Gothic doesn't sound even remotely like Autopsy or Kamos, but it's recognizably, undeniably death metal. Wow. So it's it's one of those things where it might be hard, unless I sat down and forced you to listen to a bunch of albums back to back, yeah. it might be hard to tell the differences, but to someone who listens to death metal, like you get lapped out of the room for saying that, you know, death scream bloody gore sounds anything like, let's say, dismembers, uh, indecent and, obs- and obscene nobody would compare the two but to someone who's not into death metal they might sound identical interesting oh i guess on the note of like bringing the layman into the conversation of death metal uh metalocalypse came out i think about 15 years ago did, what did that mean to you i mean did that feel weird to have a show kind of like focus on metal and kind of bring it into the mainstream like i got into it and i wasn't True. into metal at all at the time there's, all, there's always been stuff like that. I mean, we had Spinal Tap in the 80s. Mm, is probably easy. the most popular one is Spinal Tap. That one is so dead on for heavy metal and hard rock at the time that you had you had guys in fucking heavy metal bands that didn't know, didn't realize it was a docu- it was like a fake documentary. They thought it was a real band because it was so fucking dead on. Uh, and you know, so you had Spinal Tap. You had fucking uh, I think it was called Gummo, which had a bunch of fucking obscure death metal bands as the the background, you know, the backing music. Uh, and so Metalocalypse is just, I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, Brendan Small is a fucking brilliant voice actor and he's a really funny guy. Uh, obviously, the band itself was not good. <laughs> but oh. it, it wasn't offense. It wasn't like offensively bad either, which, you know, most similar stuff the music is just fucking god awful which brings me back to Spinal Tap who were amazing much better than they had any right to be and better than many actual bands yeah the, the music that they, they they comically put out was surprisingly good yeah <laughs> so fucking good Spinal yeah. Tap was amazing yeah but Metalocalypse Death Clock was not amazing but I mean I I play on a Brendan Small Thunder Horse that is the guitar I play on is his signature guitar because the guy likes metal. He wanted there to be an affordable guitar with, you know, a really good set of equipment in it. And so he talked Gibson into doing an Epiphone series of his signature guitar. And so it's like, I I might not like 
Death Clock as a band, but I think that Metalocalypse was funny as hell, and that it it really, I mean, it came, it came across. It felt like it was like it felt like a metalhead doing a show that was funny. It didn't feel like you know an outsider going, oh, you know, how can we make some funny with the funny death metal stereotype <laughs> stuff? You know, they had a lot of references to bands that you would never. They they, they weren't like overt. Like they would have you know they'd have just random stupid shit in it like dimu Bur burger was a fucking burger place in the show Dim dimu borgir is a often mocked with good reason uh black metal band from norway i mean <laughs> it, awesome. i did not know that that's great there's all sorts of little stuff in there where i think the show is a lot funnier if you're in the metal mm. and you don't have to be yeah. but it helps yeah no for sure that's interesting like do you guys ever play Brutal Legend, the video game? No. Oh yeah, that's that very cartoony one where you have the guitar. Okay. Yeah, you, you kill people with, with your guitars, your axe. Yeah. Uh, it's voiced by Jack Black. Oh really? A lot okay. of the a lot of the characters in the game were voiced by famous like legit metalheads and like metal musicians. And the soundtrack was fucking amazing. It had like it even had some obs more obscure bands, especially like Broca's Helm at the time. Broca's Helm is one of my favorite heavy metal bands. They were obscure as shit before that video game. They remain obscure as shit, but slightly less so. But, you know, stuff like that, I love stuff like that. You know, as long as it comes from a, a, a place of respect and from inside the community rather than some asshole who thinks it's funny to kick down, you right. know, I'm all about it. You know, Metalocalypse is funny. Spinal Tap was funny. Brutal Legend was great. That's a great perspective because I was curious. Like I, I always wondered if it was really representative of the culture and the people that I watched the show with were not into metal either. So I'm like, I have no idea if this is really, you know, a metal kind of show. You know, so that's kind of cool that it, it did ring true for the real fans that there was some like deep, deep humor there that you could get. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, it's, it's silly. I mean, it's. I don't know anyone personally that acts like any of the band members, except for maybe Pickles. There's definitely drummers like that, but you know, my favorite one. <laughs> you gotta, you kind of gotta put up with drummers a lot of the time. Like I've had great drummer friends that I intentionally play with music with, not because they're good drummers, though they are, but because they're good to be around. But there's a lot of drummers out there that are in bands, not because they're easy to get along with. Not because they do a reasonable amount of drugs, but because they know how to drum and they're pretty good at it. And there's just not that many fucking drummers out there. Sometimes you gotta just put up with it. <laughs> so those guys are all lovable assholes. Uh, you know, real world drummers that act like that are not very lovable, but there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. That's for fucking sure. They can get away with it. If you acted like any of the other guys, and you, no matter how good you were, people would have put up with you. The drummers, you can be a mediocre drummer and act like that, and people will still play in bands with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they don't spontaneously combust, but you know. Drag car has been through eight or nine drummers now. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's total spinal tap shit. Yeah. It, uh, it's, that's always, I mean, that's what, I, that's my go-to is, oh yeah, it's like spinal tap. We've been through like fucking nine drummers, because that's, that's actually how I checked out Spinal Tap in the first place is after we went through our first three or four drummers, people would be like, oh, that's so Spinal Tap. I'd be like, I got to check this out. It sounds yeah. 
sounds relatable. Relatable. I like it. Well, I mean, appreciate you speaking with us, schooling us on a genre that I definitely am still trying to embrace. And yeah, yeah you give me some fun stuff to check out. You're always welcome to email me uh, when you inevitably forget most of the bands I recommend. <laughs> or if you right. if you like one of them and want to know where to go next, you know, there's uh, that's one of my big passions is forcing people to listen to stuff that I like. That's why I uh, that's why I do what I do. I mean, what my, what my point of like why I try to get to understand why people like music is to try to put myself in their shoes and gain that same appreciation in some regards. Like, how can I hear the same thing you're hearing in some way you know yeah and that's uh i think that's a good approach if i wasn't so fixated on metal all the time then i'd probably do a lot more of that yeah thanks for your time guys i appreciate it and send me a link when it goes up thank you man thank appreciate you Brandon. It. have a good night ciao cheers guys that's it for this episode of Genre Neutral, the only podcast that prospects the depths of sound and artistry for dope gems that inspire. Connecting you with new cultures, fresh music, and the most hyphy perspectives on life. I'm your host as always, Duckman. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Be sure to check out Genre Neutral on all social platforms. Your first drummer was uh, the John Stumpy Peeps. Oh, yeah. Great, great, uh, tall, blonde, geek with glasses. Yeah. Uh, good drummer. Great look. Good drummer. Good, yeah. Good yeah, drummer. Fine drummer. What happened to him? He died. He he died in a bizarre gardening accident some years back. It's so really one of those things. It was, you know, the authorities said, you know, best leave it. You know, it's not unsolved, about, yeah. really. You know. And he was replaced by. Uh, Stumpy Joe. Eric Stumpy Eric Joe. Child. And what happened to Stumpy Joe? Well, uh, it's not a very pleasant story, but no. um, he's, uh, he, passed on. he died, uh, he choked on, uh, the, the official explanation was he choked on vomit. It's actually, he passed uh, away. It was actually someone else's vomit. It's not <laughs> ugly. You know, there's no real... Well, they can't you know, prove still... whose vomit it was. They, uh, never, they don't have uh, facilities they don't in Scotland Yard. No you can't really dust for vomit. Now, during the Flower People period, who was your drummer? Stumpy's replacement, Peter James Bond. He also died in mysterious circumstances. Uh, we were playing uh, a uh, festival, blue, jazz blues festival. Where was that? Well, blues jazz, really. Blues jazz festival. It was, the, it was, the, uh, it was in the Isle, Isle of Lucy. Lucy. The yeah. Isle of Lucy. Isle of Lucy. Jazz Lucy. blues festival. And uh, it was tragic, really. He exploded on stage. Just like that. He just went up. He just was like a flash of green light, and that was it. Nothing was left. It was his face. Well, there was. It's that, true. This, it this was truly true. did happen. There was a little green globule on his drum seat. Like a stain, really. It was, it was a more stain. of a stain than a globule, yeah. actually. And you know, it was, several, you know, dozens of people spontaneously combust each year. It's just not really widely reported. Right. Yeah.